2: This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to
3: Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm speaking to you from New York City on the 8th day of August 2017. do want to remind you that I'm the author of a newsletter called Jay Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks, and you can subscribe by going to miningstocks.com, miningstocks.com, or you can... Give us a call here in New York City at 718-457-1426, 718-457-1426 during normal work hours and you can sign up uh, for a subscription to my newsletter that way. And I must say that we are having some very exciting times, especially with some of our top picks, most notably Novo Resources, which um, just put out a press release, uh, the first bulk sample uh, first two bulk samples, and uh, it looks very, very strong to me. The stock was halted today. I expect it will open tomorrow. I don't want to comment too much on the numbers I'm glancing at because I haven't had a chance to look at them and thoroughly understand them. Uh, but on the surface, it looks very, very good. I wouldn't be surprised if the stock opens a great deal higher tomorrow. But this is a story I've been talking to you about over the last two, three years. Dr. Quentin Henning is scheduled to come on this show next week, next uh Tuesday, a week from today. He is scheduled to be one of my guests, and of course he'll have a lot of things to say about this new discovery, which is being compared with the Great Whitwaters Rand deposit. Of course, there is much work to be done before that can be confirmed, but at least uh, as a a geological model, it is confirmed that um, legitimately, uh, anyway, according to highly regarded geologists, that Dr. Henning may indeed be on uh, to one of the truly great gold discoveries of recent times. Well, again, time will tell. Um, We'd like to also encourage you to consider subscribing to Chen Lin's letter. ChenPicks.com is the place to go for that. Chen has had an extraordinary track record in the past, picking unusual stories uh, and done very well in the pharmaceutical area, the energy area, as well as the uh, gold shares area as well. Want to thank each of you for listening and making this show one of the more popular shows on the Voice America Business Channel. Also, keep your questions, comments, criticisms, and praises flowing to gold uh, questions for Taylor at gmail.com, questions and number four, Taylor at gmail.com. We do want to thank our sponsors for making this show economically viable. Our sponsors for today's show are New Range Gold, Aron Resources, Novo Resources, Genesis Metals Corp, Fireweed Zinc, and Osprey Gold Development. I've titled today's show, You Need Gold Investments Now More Than Ever. Dan Oliver, Michael Oliver, no relationship to Michael uh, or Dan. They're not related. Michael will be with us again. And Peter Talman will be with me at about a quarter past the hour. He is the CEO uh, of Klondike Gold. And that is another one of my top picks. a company, I think, is on to possibly a a multimillion-ounce gold deposit in the Klondike area of the Yukon. The truth about gold is kept secret from most investors because it doesn't really optimize the profits of Wall Street. If people go out and buy gold and gold shares, well, maybe gold shares a little bit, but otherwise uh, they have their own products they'd rather sell you and the margins are much better on those. So basically, I believe there is a very strong anti-gold bias on Wall Street. But nonetheless, it is a fact, as Dan Oliver will point out, that if you own gold, and Dan also says gold shares, you can enhance the returns of your portfolio while limiting the risk or at least uh, considerably reducing the risk uh, of that portfolio risk being defined as volatility of returns and uh, certainly most investors right now see very little need to own gold because the Fed which at least in part answers to Congress uh, is deeply um, biased towards stocks it would seem every time as David Stockman has pointed out on the show. Every time the stock market starts to head down, the Fed would pump in more money into the system, and certainly congressmen don't want to see the stock market go down. They're deeply invested in stocks as well, so anybody that says there's not a pro-bullish bias in the stock market on the part of the policymakers, I think, would be um, probably sticking their head in the sand. But the idea now is that stocks can rise forever, but can they, and we'll ask Michael Oliver to opine on that in just a moment or two, We do know that even if gold isn't rising vis-a-vis the dollar, junior mining stocks can rise dramatically when they find large-scale profitable gold deposits. And again, I just mentioned Novo Resources could be on to one, but Klondike Gold uh, also seems to be figuring out Mother Nature's secrets with regard to the structural controls of that gold that was there and eroded over millions of years into the famous Klondike gold fields. And Peter Tallman, for the first time, uh, he and his geological team have taken a serious scientific look at the origins of that placer gold, and Peter will be here to talk about that in just a few minutes. Meantime, though, Michael is with us, and uh, thanks for being with me again today, Michael.
4: It's always fun, Jay.
3: Always good to have you here. You know, I noticed that actually um, the S&P doesn't want to seem to go down, but you have called now for a sell on the NASDAQ 100. Um, How far do you think we are from an outright bearish call on stocks in general in the United States?
4: Well, I I think it's, we're literally, I I want consensus. Uh, The MSA reports momentum structural analysis. We've said that You've got to take the stock market, not as NASDAQ 100 or the S&P. You've got to look at a lot of things, So the leadership especially, the so-called FANG stocks, which are uh, at least four of them are front-loaded into the PNQI ETF, which is an Internet ETF. you got to watch that as well because you want to see the leadership break, Amazon, Google, and so forth. Uh, the NASDAQ 100, you want to see it fractured. And the S&P, which has defined its level so well, we put out a report today, using intermediate and long-term momentum, showing that the, the trigger numbers on both were so close together, it was amazing. Uh, just down around 1250, the high 1240s would be pretty much do it. Uh, excuse me, 2440s, 2450 level, which is, we're 2479 right now. So we're talking a percent or so below us. There's a minefield. And I think if you can trigger that, it's very important. And it's important to the other categories because, as as we've noted, uh, we call the dollar top, and it's come down hard. That Mm -hmm. has helped, in general, the commodity complex stabilize and firm. Some markets already firmed last year. Others are stabilizing and firming this year. Uh, other aspects of the commodity markets, the grains in particular, have stabilized and they're showing up, up upturns. Um, oil is continuing to look like it's going to press up, I think, into the 60s. But the dollar has helped on that. But the thing that has been missing is something we noted in the weekend report when we, we took a theme from Alan Greenspan's recent comment that uh, stagflation is coming back, mm-hmm. uh, which nobody believes. We do. Uh, We do think inflation is coming back, and we think the stagnation will continue. It never left. Uh, But the inflation is going to come back and shift from an investor preference toward stocks toward commodities. This happens every 10 years or so. You can go back and look. In uh, 2000, for example, it was time to sell stocks for a good period of time and own commodities. Mm -hmm. Uh, It wasn't until 2011, in fact, that the reverse occurred, where you could sell commodities outright and buy stocks and, and make money on the spread or, you know, long stocks or short commodities. We think that's changing again. So it's six years later, and we think it's flipping around again. The first, the, we need a, a, a chin kick in the stock market. Just a little <laughs> bit. I don't think a big one. You don't have to collapse it. But I think if you get down 3%, 4 5% and start to spook some folks, uh-huh. uh, I think the smarter money is going to start the movement. And they're going to look at commodities as a value play. I mean, you're not going to take them to zero. You you look at yeah. the corn and the wheat and the charts and, and so forth, they've they already collapsed. They're not going to zero. Uh, the worst they're going to do is lay on their backs here. They're probably going up. And they all look technically primed for that. So uh, when Greenspan came out with that comment, we took that as a theme and explained why we think it's true technically mm-hmm. that the stagflation is going to hit and be the reality of the, rea- the late 1970s again, in other words. Uh, mm-hmm. In fact, if, if your listeners want that report, uh, all they're going to do is go to our site, OliverMSA.com, and there's a re- uh, request button there, and, and uh, send us an email, and we'll send you the sample report, including Good. the gold, gold update today. But I think the stock market's important in that regard. Even if you're not long or short stocks, if they wobble, I think there's enough smart people out there who realize that this, is, this game's gone on too long anyway. So mm-hmm. where do you put your money now? And I think they mm-hmm. are going to see, the feel the positives, like a biofeedback uh, loop, that they feel it's more stable in the commodity arena now, given the levels they're at, and to the direction they're trying to go in, upside, and that the stocks are, you know, priced off the page. And so, you know, it's never an overnight thing where everybody switches their preference, but uh, the wiser money, you know, moves first, and then the less wise money moves later. But I think the wobble in the stock market is a key thing to watch for now.
3: Mm-hmm. You know, Michael, I would I would guess that a lot of people are suggesting that inflation isn't a problem because they don't see any great growth, gangbuster growth in the economy. They're okay. certainly right about that, but those same folks were not expecting a weak dollar. And right. I, it's my belief that if we start having rising prices in commodities, well, we have seen some rising prices in commodities, but that is more due to a dollar or lack of confidence in the system, perhaps than it has anything to do with a, with a strong demand side for, for commodities that are causing it to rise, but rather people just, as you say, opting out of one asset category for another that mm-hmm. seems to be less overpriced, perhaps, than, than I stocks.
4: I it's as simple as that. Um, and, you know, it's, it, does it feel good? You know yeah. that's the question the investors ask. <laughs> and if the stock market suddenly doesn't feel good, and they've been a little itchy for a while anyway, not certain of the levels and so forth, the valuations, and then they, they, their friend has been in commodities and he's up a hundred bucks in gold over the last year or something, and his gold uh, GDX is up eighty uh, percent since it's low, and you know, et cetera, et cetera. All of a sudden, the feel good spreads, and uh, the other guy gets in and makes his portfolio shift. And I think that's what you need. And that's what happened in the late 70s. So the stock market mm-hmm. had a huge rally from a bear market low in 74 through 1977. And when it peaked and started into a couple-year retreat, it really didn't collapse. It just didn't perform. It was a bad place yeah. to be. Commodities took the ball and ran with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was a, clearly an investor class. And there was no growth to justify that. It was simply inflation, and investor preference shift. And I think that's what we're facing right now.
3: All right. Well, very interesting report. You put out metals and mining ETF. Uh, There it's breaking through looking bullish, which also reaffirms your case for a a bullish commodity complex. But, Michael, with just a minute or so left Mm -hmm. here, let me ask you um, with regard to gold, because that is the, the one market that we're most focused on. Where do you see any sort of key levels where if we break through we, we might be on to something much higher?
4: Actually, two weeks ago, we, uh, the uh-huh. end of July, last week in July, we closed above 1265, weekly close. Uh-huh. We closed 1268. And since then, though, it's backed off a, a percent. Uh, and it's taken it five, six days to do that. Uh, we think the dailies look oversold uh, and, on, and old on the downside. Therefore, they're ready to flip back up. And we think that breakout close, a we, we, momentum breakout close, it's not evident on a price chart, was in fact valid. And it, the, the fact that it didn't immediately respond does not disappoint us. Uh, silver's in a bit different condition. Silver, in order to accomplish what gold did a few weeks ago, needs to get back over seventeen. Mm. Uh, we're in the mid-16s right now, the 16, 30, 40 area on the, on the uh, September contract. Uh, so you run it up 60, 70 cents, back over $17. I think it'll, it'll start to engage as well. So it's a bit lagging to gold right now. But they both look uh, like they're ready to, to engage in a, a new surge, a new protracted up move. Uh, And we're also watching grains closely and oil and so forth, because I think it could be more concerted this year than it was last year when it was just Mm -hmm. a handful of commodities that Mm -hmm. that stole the show. I think it's a broader thing this year.
3: Well, that certainly would make some sense with the uh, very considerable weakness in the dollar that we've had. And I think you believe there's a lot more in store for the dollar before Mm -hmm. we see any kind of uh, stability, right? Right.
4: And, and longer term as well on the downside. We yeah. broke annual momentum trends. When you break an yeah. annual momentum trend, it's not a, a three-month trade. Right. It's more likely a three-year trade.
3: So yeah, right. it, yeah. All right. Well, that should all be very bullish for commodities. Of course, what we want to do is not uh, – we want to know where the markets are going objectively. And I don't know of anybody that does a better job, uh, a non-emotional, objective view of the markets than you, Michael. So thanks again for being with us. You're always – always very valuable to us uh, and to our listeners so thanks very much we'll look to do it next week hopefully again all right folks well um, we got to go to commercial break but don't go away because peter talman of klondike gold will be with us to talk about the klondike mother lode. that seems as though they may have identified it now and if so we think that uh, klondike gold could be a very attractive place uh, to have at least a few of your dollars tucked away in but don't go away we'll be right back with peter talman
4: 200 million dollars.
0: New Range Gold Core is a Canadian junior explorer focused on its recently acquired flagship Pamlico Gold Project, located in Nevada, one of the best mining jurisdictions in the world. Known as one of Nevada's highest-grade gold districts, Pamlico was held by private interests for most of its history and remains largely unexplored. Drilling by New Range is already confirming the legendary grades of the district with intercepts up to 341 grams gold per ton. Well-financed with no debt, New ranges unlocking shareholder value at Pamlico and trades under TSX Symbol NRG.
1: We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network.
3: Welcome back to Turning Hard Times Into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me once again Peter Talman. He's the president and CEO of Klondike Gold. Um, Klondike, uh, The Klondike Placer gold fields have, have indeed quite a history, as Peter has talked on the show before about. Soon after the uh, California gold discovery in 1849, gold was discovered in the creeks and streams of the Klondike in the Yukon. And Peter Talman arrived on the scene to head up Klondike Gold. Before that, no one really took a real serious, systematic, scientific look at the source of all that gold, of huge amounts of gold that have been mined over the years, but there had to be a source. And so Klondike Gold, under Peter Talman and his team, have really started to gain some progress, it seems, in understanding the structural controls. Where is that gold? Where can we put the drill holes in to find it and to outline it and where uh, where it is so we can mine it one day, perhaps. So this is a really, really interesting story and one that even though the market doesn't seem to gain too much affection for yet, uh, I can say that I added about to 25% to my position last week as I've sort of really come to believe that, that Peter and his team are on to something really significant here. And if I'm right, I think... There's going to be quite a bit of money to be made by those who own these shares at the current price. I see it around 23 cents a little while ago in U.S. money. Um, It must give it a market cap of 20, 21 million in U.S. dollars after a $5 million financing that just uh, takes the company's shares to approximately 85 million shares. Well, uh, Peter, I'm so glad you could join me again today. Thanks Thanks for being here. Uh, Thanks for having me. You know, could you talk a little bit about what you've learned about uh, Mother Nature's secrets with regard to where she's hidden this treasure? Have you you have um, applied systematic, you know, the latest technology to hunt for the yellow metal. Uh, what, what can you tell us that you've discovered since you came on the scene on this project?
5: Oh, <laughs> well, when we got here, basically nobody knew much of anything, and it's we had to kind of start from scratch and develop a, a couple of different models, and one of them seems to be working so far. Um, it, it, it's kind of difficult to describe, and especially on radio, kind of sure. hard to imagine. So we're we're actually building a video so you can go see it. But the, the bottom line is, there's a, a a big thrust, a low angle thrust that controls. Uh, the gold where the gold mineralization was pumped to, and then these secondary faults, the the gold, uh, f- gold bearing fluids were pumped up into them, and that's where they reside today. And what we see in the in the Eldorado Creek, Bonanza Creek uh, basins, and those are two. Uh, there's a ridge in between the two, but those are the two uh, the biggest gold placer producing creeks in the Klondike. Uh, we see four major secondary structures. Each one of the four is mineralized with gold. We've drilled all four of them uh, previously or over the last two years. And each one of those has a, a seven or eight kilometer long strike length. Uh, what we've been doing recently, especially we just finished, in fact, was a, a, a kind of a high-tech 3D geophysical survey. So it looks under the ground in three dimensions, and that's been really powerful for being able to visualize the faults and the units that contain the gold. So, that's really where we are today. Um,
3: uh-huh. Well, well, Peter, can people see that on your website at klondikegoldcorp.com? Is that, that three-dimensional, is that up there yet?
5: No, because it's still preliminary. We're still slicing. We, only just re- we have not received the full data set from the contractor. Mm-hmm. They only left two weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're starting to slice it ourselves. So I've got two-thirds of the survey myself sitting on my desktop right now, and we're using that to drill test. Mm-hmm. Coming soon. Coming soon, but there's only there's only what twenty eight or thirty hours in a day.
3: <laughs> <laughs> For guys that know how to stretch it, I guess, uh, yeah. <laughs> and and I'm sure you do. Uh, but up there, of course, in the summertime, at least the sun never sets, right? So you 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 don't have you're not able to sleep anyway. So uh, can you talk about the the what your, what what have you tried to accomplish this year in your drill program, and and are you are you do you feel that you're getting there?
5: Uh, they, from the, the very end of last year, we identified what we thought could be a, um, a million-ounce gold target. It kind of had you know, about a kilometer, well, half a kilometer of, we knew there was gold there, and it maybe went a kilometer or so. Uh, this year, the objective was, or from the, the outset was to test and prove that the Lone Star target itself had length continuity. And so we've drilled, well, this year we have 11 holes. We've drilled a total of 37 holes today, up to today, of which I have assays for 11. Uh, and they were announced just last, within last week, uh, the latest round. And combined with the drill holes that we did last year, um, we have a, a strike length of 800 meters drilled with mineralization continuous along it. The drilling is more or less at 50-meter centers. Mm-hmm. And from there, we're also trying to do, you know, prospective exploration. So we've jumped out 700 meters in one direction and half a kilometer, 500 meters in the other,
0: mm-hmm. and
5: hit on those holes as well, a long strike. And so what we've been doing just in the last two weeks is trying to connect where we are on Lone Star with those two Drill holes, one in one direction, one in the other. Uh And uh, and so, you know, it it looks good visually. Mm -hmm. Uh, Gold isn't, it's always difficult when you look at the core, because if you can't really see lots of gold, then, you know, you have to wait for an assay. So that's where we're at now.
3: Sure. But, I mean, uh, if both of those seem, I mean, are you thinking this may be a continuation of the 800 meters where you've drilled so far?
5: Well, put it this way: this, the theory was, hey, look, we can see this structure, and the structure is mineralized. So, to be able mm-hmm. to just to go 700 meters in one direction and hit, <laughs> and mm-hmm. in both of these cases, those drill holes had visible gold in them. So, we know that there's there is gold of some sort there. Uh-huh. Um, that's pretty good. It makes me feel very, very good about how we're doing the exploration. And, um, and what our success, so far, again, that, the significance of the last week's news release was we didn't miss on any holes at all. And, yeah. and that's really exciting. It means that, at least for now, we think we have a handle on what's going on, um, and, and we have this huge target ahead of us
3: yeah um, so I would think that speaks well to the prospects for continuity, which is always so important in, a, in the economics of a mining project, right?
5: Well, that, and that's unique on the target that we're currently drilling is that it's a bulk tonnage disseminated. It's right. The, the grade is regular and it's repeatable. and you know we're drilling intercepts of thirty to forty meters uh, of regular grade and over 800 meters of strike length so far. Mm-hmm. Um, that that's pretty comforting. I'm I'm happy that you know. Okay, it's relatively predictable. We can get on it, and then we can go along strike and see if we can find more. So there we go.
3: To a depth, to a depth of where, Peter? About how deep are yeah, these holes so, going?
5: So far, we're only thirty to fifty meters uh, below surface. Like all the min- mineralization we've drilled starts right at surface. So it, it's mm-hmm. I, I could take a backhoe to it now. Some of the drill holes that are to come that are already drilled, we started to step back just to see what it looks like as it goes to depth. Mm -hmm. Um, And we plan to do lots more. So we have drilled, physically drilled 37 holes up till now. We're planning to drill 80. So we have another 40 yet to come on the current project or current plan. And that should be done physically by the end of the early, mid-September. We have 26 holes, or only 11 holes assayed so far, so Mm -hmm. basically there's I don't know what it is, It's about 70 holes left um, in the entire summer to come, and now that we've raised this $5 million, done this $5 million financing, um, we we, we can accelerate the pace that we're doing this year that really won't be that significant, but we might be able to squeeze in another round, another phase of drilling before it freeze up mm-hmm. um, but but it's good it's like yeah we we have a whole lot of targets to test, and seemingly everywhere we go to're we're, we well, 're we're able to predict where the gold is so far, and we have lots of infill yet to go to
3: mm. Mm-hmm. Well, that's really exciting. In your notes to me, you said something about, you you were talking about that 500-meter and 700-meter step-outs in either direction. Uh, You said, so it seems as though our our model is working, and then you said that leaves about 30 kilometers of fault-controlled gold mineralization in the immediate area to drill. My goodness, Peter, that's a lot of drilling, even if you're doing shallow holes. Give us a sense of what the size of this project is because what you're talking about here mostly is Lone Star, but Lone Star is just one of many different targets in this huge package, land package you have, right?
5: Yeah, we're well, it's over 500 square kilometers, and <laughs> I mean, beyond just looking at what we're doing, the, the, the focus is on Lone Star and the structures that are there, but we're working currently working 50 kilometers away at the other end of our property, and have found some interesting looking mineralization. We can see the visible gold in it. We don't have any assays yet for it, but we've done some trenching now and we're tuning that up to go drill it. And I hope to have that drilled here and within the next couple of weeks or months as Mm. well. Um, And some of the rocks there look like Lone Star. Some of them, there's also some what appear to be high-grade quartz veins, which is more typical of what the Klondike is about um and it, it'd just be fun to have a showing 50 kilometers away the other end of the belt and all of the rest of it in between is effectively unexplored
3: wow it certainly is exciting i i wonder when you're going to be able to uh, to give us some sense of, of resources and grades and that sort of thing is that something we can look forward to next year perhaps sometime or is that maybe not even your objective? Maybe what you're really trying to do is just show that this is a major system, and um, and and have somebody else come in, a major come in sometime, and uh, and take it over for you. I don't know. What are your what are your aims here on this project? Are you looking? How far are you looking to take it yourself? I guess is my question.
5: Um, well, I don't think that we'd have to we have to take it beyond a million ounces um, as a resource, or at least as something. Uh, if it's a resource it has to be bigger than a million ounces because the majors will uh, basically sit up take note and want it really badly at that point um and i think with the potential that we have here um it'll become a race between it'll it'll be something of a game if we go to i i, I don't want to do a resource estimate early sure put it that way uh, because we have so much potential here but uh, so the, in the meantime, it's try to drill as many holes as possible. All of the, uh, if, and of course try to have as many of those hit as possible, and keep expanding the strike length and the depths uh, to which we hit. So uh, the more of that, the better. The financing that we just did, and there's a follow-up because, again, it's starting to be recognized from the professional investment crowd that this is something of significance. So hopefully we'll be able to announce it shortly, uh, who is coming in to help take this project forward. Um, But we now have enough money to double the expiration program that we're doing this year. We're going to double it for next year. And uh, we'll still have money left over to take us into 2019.
3: Did I hear you say "Who may be coming in to help you move this project forward, or you said something like that? I believe did I hear you correctly? <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay.
5: it's in it's in the works, so uh, okay. Coming soon there'll be a news release about that.
3: <laughs> okay uh Peter um we're basically out of time, but let me ask you. I mean, the infrastructure is always an issue when you go to more remote areas. I guess it's pretty good here. is that right?
5: Well, we've just the drillers have just discovered that if they're at the drill, they can phone Dawson and have a pizza delivered to the drill
3: okay um
5: and so yes,
3: that's pretty good.
5: <laughs> take. Out- <laughs> When you can get takeout to the drill, it's excellent infrastructure.
3: That's pretty good. And one more question: What about uh, what about metallurgy? Anything done yet? I know it's really early, but any any work done yet? Any ideas? Um,
5: we have not. Although, again, by observation, um, I, I talked to all the plaster miners around, and they're they're processing it. It's visible coarse gold, twenty yeah, million yeah. ounces of it that mm-hmm. they're recovering directly by gravity separation using water. Um, and looking at the core, that's, uh, I mean, a lot of the gold that we have, you can see it. So,
3: Yes, yeah.
5: i I, I don't know. I, I mean, I can't, we have to do the testing yet, but it, it looks yeah. pretty simple to me.
3: Sure, good. All right, anything else? Anything else you'd like to leave our listeners with uh, before we conclude our discussion today?
5: It's a fantastic sunny day in Dawson, and uh, you're right, we're just getting over the 24-hour sunshine period, but we still have a lot of work left to do this year, and uh, we'll probably still be releasing assay results from drill holes uh, well into the new year, because we'll we'll be backlogged, so there's lots of news to come.
3: All right, we'll be certainly looking forward to it, uh, both in my newsletter and for this radio show. Thank you so much for being with us, Peter, and... uh keep up the good work we'll talk to you again soon hopefully thank you all right folks we do have to take a break but don't go away dan oliver is going to be with us to tell us why owning gold gold shares as well as gold bullion is very healthy for your portfolio why you can enhance your returns and reduce your risk risk being defined as volatility of returns dan always has a lot of insights that are valuable so i hope you'll stick around we'll be right back with dan oliver
0: America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Novo Resources focuses on the exploration and development of gold projects. Its flagship asset is the Beaton's Creek Gold Project in Western Australia, where it is currently upgrading and expanding on its resources to produce an economic study in Q3 2017. Followed by construction in Q1 2018, Novo enjoys a strong balance sheet and supportive shareholder support from the likes of Eric Sprott and Newmont Mining. It trades in Canada and the U.S. under the symbols NVO and NSRPF, respectively.
3: Welcome back to Turning Hard Times and Good Times. I'm your host Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have Dan Oliver with me once again. And uh, Dan is the managing director of Mermekin Capital. That's a, a hedge fund that he uh, that he's in charge of. Um, he is focused mostly on, I believe, on gold shares. He uh, definitely understands free market economics uh, from an Austrian perspective. Uh, he's somebody I've learned to know over the last number of years and have a very high regard for his intellect and, and the work that he does. So, Thanks for joining me again, Dan.
1: Thanks for having me. love it. always enjoy talking to you.
3: Always good to have you. Um, I, w- I want to ask you a little bit to talk about the proper price of gold. It's uh, something you wrote going back I think in oh in May or sometime earlier this year. You You talked about you know people have this misconception about what the proper price of gold is and yesterday I saw an article from Bullion Star, I believe it was, that they were suggesting that the gold price could be $65,000 in five years. And uh, I don't know. I mean, that sounds pretty wacko to most people. (laughs) It sure Uh, does. sure does, yeah. But on the other hand, I I know, uh, I understand what you're talking about, but perhaps you, you can explain to people how they should be viewing gold. Not yeah, necessarily sure. through the eyes of the mainstream media.
1: Well well right. So whenever I get asked that question, I, I always turn it around and, and, and say so the reason why gold has been money for four thousand years is because it's the most stable element. That that that's why in uh, cultures that are, have nothing to do with each other in terms of religion or, or, or their culture or their economies or anything else. They've always gravitated towards gold as money whenever they've had it available. And then it was, If there wasn't gold, it was silver. If it wasn't silver, it was copper. So the point is that people gravitate to the most liquid item as money, and gold is the most liquid substance. So when you ask, what is the proper price of gold, you're, you really should be asking is, what is the proper value of the dollar? Because the dollar is a construct. It's constructed by... PhD economist, and that, of course, is a very unstable value. And so I always turn around and say, well, well h- how do you calculate that? And actually, I mean, some people think that gold is just a measure of the confidence of central bankers, and you buy gold when the bankers aren't doing well, and you sell it when they are doing well. And I, again, I don't like that at all, because it implies that gold is moving. It's, it's the dollar that's moving, and, and there's actually mm-hmm. a p- pretty precise way to measure what the price of gold and dollars should be, or rather what the price of dollars and gold should be, and, and that is if we look at the dominant central bank for the past 200 years, of which there's very good data, the Federal Reserve of the 20th century, the Bank of England of the 19th century, it, it's very clear that the market insists that banks that issue liabilities back them with solid assets, and of course the most solid asset of all is gold. And so if we look at that, of that time series, what you see is that gold has backed, the liabilities of the banks by about a third. And it wasn't the bureaucrats who set it there. It was the market that insisted, especially in the 19th century when when money was freely to come in and out of the Bank of England. It was the market that set that level. And in fact, if you look at that ratio since 1971, when supposedly we haven't been on a gold standard, uh, it's not much different. got about 28%. So the point is, it's, it's the market doing this. And when you look at that number today, it's around 7%. Now, over that 200 year time frame, of course, there are large uh, uh, changes. Uh, mm-hmm. in, for example, 1968, it was below 10% at the peak of that credit bubble. And then by 1980, at the nadir of that credit cycle, Gold hit uh, 133% on that metric. It went hit 875. Now, it was just there for a couple hours, but the mm-hmm. point is that, that's how crazy it got. And when you go back into the 30s and the 40s, it's the exact same thing. When in credit bubbles, uh, uh, credit goes up in terms of gold, especially in the central bank. And then when the credit bubble resolves, you see that gold backs the central bank's liabilities by, by a much greater extent. And so it's very easy to say that there is an equilibrium uh, a value for gold, and if you say that gold ought to be valued at about a third of the Fed's liability, you get to numbers up in the six, seven thousand dollar an ounce range. Now, I always qualify that because when we look back at 200 years and you ask, what was it, What were the other two-thirds of the assets comprised mm-hmm. of? Right? Well, mm-hmm. they were comprised for most of, the, of that two-century period of very short-term commercial bills, you know, 90-day bills, maximums so in an average duration, maybe 30 days, and mm-hmm. also very, very short-term government bonds, again, 30, 60 days. And In the 70s, especially, that started creeping upwards. So they started buying bonds. I think the average duration of the Fed's balance sheet in the 1970s crept upwards towards two, three years as opposed to 30 days. And so therefore, when interest interest rates went crazy and those bonds uh, were devalued, gold had a huge run. Today the average duration of the Fed's balance sheet, it's a little uncertain because they own so many esoteric things, but it's Mm -hmm. up in the 10-12 year range. That's a huge amount of exposure they have to interest rates. And so, again, I think the equilibrium level might be around a third, but that's assuming the other two-thirds of the assets are solid, and that is not a good assumption in our current environment. So I I think there's a good argument to say that when the crisis comes, the definition of the currency crisis will be when gold goes to a level that it has to go to to balance the Fed's balance sheet, and that number probably isn't going to be eight thousand. It could well be sixteen thousand or twenty-four thousand. The equivalent to nineteen eighty would be twenty-four thousand or twenty-five thousand, around that number. And again, you know, in polite company, you don't uh, I don't use those numbers because <laughs> they sound crazy. And I don't know how you get to sixty-five. I, mean, I, I suppose theoretically, if the Fed uh, uh, triples its balance sheet. Uh, again, which I think is entirely possible with crappy yeah. assets. Well, well, then you could get up to the seventy-five thousand dollar level, which seems again crazy. But but I, I just I just want to qualify this discussion somewhat to point out that uh, when gold ran from thirty-five dollars an ounce in 1968-1971 uh, uh, to. 875 the world didn't end you know the, the u.s. didn't go through a weimar german mm-hmm. uh, Zimbabwean hyperinflation you know the, the the country survived the world survived so you, you imagine gold up to twenty thousand dollars now which again is not an equilibrium level I and mean, maybe it for two hours uh it is not a, a prediction of civilization collapsing that, that, that is something that can happen just in the context of inflation and credit cycles that we can all deal with now again the fed goes crazy I mean, they certainly could engineer a Zimbabwe <laughs> situation if, if they do that. But as things stand now, I don't see that in the cards today. Uh, but but gold is going to trade very very much higher th- than it is now, and 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 that's why there's actually a reason why it's not just pulling numbers out of a hat. That there's actually uh, a data you can look at and theory you can point to that tells you that gold will trade at those levels when the bubble collapse. And every bubble. But it always collapses, and so this one will too. Uh, saying exactly when it will and how it will—that's a little trickier. But it's going to, and gold will trade at those levels.
3: Yeah. So the, I wasn't aware of the the duration of the uh, of the debt on the on the balance sheet of the Fed. That is very uh, that is very alarming. And so the quality, which you're arguing is the quality, is much worse. Uh, the non gold aspect uh, or the non gold portion of the Fed's. Balance sheet is, is much less solid than it was back in the nineteen seventies, even when we had this horrible inflation. Well, that's what
1: um, yeah, that's what operation twist was, right? They they sold yeah. their short-term paper and they sure. bought
3: long-term paper. That's what yeah. they did. And they yeah. did
1: it to enhance the bubble and it worked to the extent that it they were Bernanke did make the bubble even bigger. I mean, so that that part was successful, quote unquote. But it left the the uh, the Fed with incredibly impaired assets. I mean, nobody in their right minds would purchase 30 year Government bonds at a fixed interest rates and, and hold them to maturity, expecting their purchasing power to increase. I mean, that 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 is insanity, and that is what the Fed has done. They've done it not to make money; they've done it for political reasons. That's fine, but they're going to lose a lot of value uh, by doing that, and that value will come out of will be extracted from uh, people who hold dollars.
3: Now, Alan Greenspan, just last week or so, I think, with Maria Bartiromo and Fox uh, talked about. The debt market, the bond market, um, the bull market being over the bubble, being, uh, in essence, uh, uh, coming to an end. And Michael Oliver, no relative of yours, I guess, he's a regular guest on our show, and he made a very good call on the uh, T-bond last year, towards the end of the year. It's worked out very well. He's made also a very good call on the dollar. The dollar has really started to uh, come down very strongly, as you're well aware, uh, maybe 10% or so from its peak. Just a few months ago, what do you make of both of those markets? What do you think is driving both the the dollar and the T bond downward now?
1: Yeah. Well, first of all, I I, you know, I, I respect Michael Oliver a lot. I, I mostly think most tech analysis voodoo, but he has an extraordinary ability to to, to peg these things. So I'm, yes. I'm impressed with his work. Um. But but I I think the point is I think people like Greenspan and others sense that this bubble is at an end and Again, the, the way bubbles end is through overcapacity. That, that, that is the Austrian theory of credit bubbles, that when rates get too low, uh, it affects especially long-term cash flows so people overinvest in long-term assets like buildings and ships and airplanes and all those sorts of things, and, and biotech and anything that has cash flows way off in the future. And and I was interested to see an article just this week about uh, the delivery of rental properties. No one can afford to buy houses anymore because only the big... Ah, uh, players can get any credit. So, uh, so they're they're all uh, all the big private equity firms are building huge amounts of rental real estate. And what's interesting is that even though the numbers are enormous, I think the deliveries for this year, and next year, are sixty percent above what they were uh, before the financial crisis. Rents are hmm. falling, <laughs> right? And so this this is a classic case where you know, you overinvest in, in an asset. Uh, and, and, and of course you plan these things year in, years in advance and even though cash flow starts collapsing, you still keep building them because you have to because you've invested so much in it. I, I live in New York City I look around and sometimes I think I'm in Shanghai there's so many cranes everywhere all the city yeah. of, of building buildings and and as the capacity comes on it, it, it lowers your cash flow I and mean, then you can't pay back the debt you took out to build that project and and, and that phenomenon is going on all over the place and again that, that is what ends a boom so forget about or you don't need to look at market dynamics. What you look at is, is, is or I mean, I mean, the the, the financial markets. The financial markets eventually reflect what's happening in the real economy. And what's happening in the real economy is massive overinvestment in, in the wrong in misallocation of resources. And that will filter through to the markets at some point. And usually, the markets are pretty immune to this stuff until all of a sudden they're not. Uh, and and one of the things that I point out to people is that. Again, overcapacity ends a boom. The other thing that ends a boom is rising interest rates, because you have a certain level of debt in the economy, and, and, and an increase in interest rates increases the cash you need to service that debt. And so if your cash doesn't increase, or is decreasing especially, then you're in big trouble. And if we look back again at history, history tells us. But Bernanke came in and started raising rates, I forget, in late 2004, early 2005. And for two mm-hmm. years, the market totally ignored him. I mean, the, yeah. the stock market went crazy. The real estate market went up faster than ever. And all of a sudden, it just, it just froze up and crashed. And the exact same thing happened in the 20s. The Fed started tightening in the first quarter of 1928 for the, for the specific purpose of reigning in the stock market. And they kept tightening, and the stock market kept going up faster and faster and faster. The, fight, the Fed tightened all the way through to September 1929. And in that month, the uh, if you look at the Fed's website, they recorded the unemployment rate at 0.5%. Not 5%, 0.5%. Mm. Now, presumably, it has similar metric because that's well below the natural. Unemployment uh, rate. Sure. That's the number on their website. And so the point is, you know, you could look and say everything's great. There's no unemployment. Uh, the stock market's going crazy. This is all wonderful. But of course, within a month and a half, the stock market was forty percent lower because those finally, those interest rates finally started affecting the the cash flow that these malinvestments need to to maintain themselves. And so what I see happening now is exactly the same thing. Where the Fed's been raising rates, the market doesn't care. It's actually accelerating to the upside. Uh, but but as they raise rates, they undermine everybody who has a floating rate loan. So if you've got a, a mortgage payment or a car payment or a student loan payment or a credit card payment or any of those payments, you, your cash flow is being affected severely, and this flows through into the retail sector and everything else. And so we see car sales going down, obviously, and credit card delinquencies rising. All all the signs you see before one of these cycles ends. And of course, since debt is so much greater than it was in two thousand seven. I think the next crash is going to be that much greater uh, and and I think I don't think it'll be years I think it's more like months or maybe a year but it is not far in the future.
3: Dan to what extent do you think the rising rates are the doing of the Fed or is the market itself demanding higher rates and I mean you and geopolitical issues that come into play as well I mean it's no secret that China's you know we've had we've had the kindness of strangers helping us out for decades the japanese and then the chinese buying us treasuries allowing us to continue on living beyond our means as a nation for many many years and uh now that seems to to a great extent at least from what i understand has dried up do you think and then and then the fed of course with rates where they are who who wants to own treasuries really um oh, uh- yeah, so do you all, think it, to what up. extent do you think the Fed is the is the reason the rates are going up or might be the rates going up in spite of a Fed uh, the Fed's desire for them not to go up?
1: Well, that's a debate people have: does the Fed lead the market or follow the market? And, and, yeah. and I think it's a little bit of both. But 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 again, if when you see shaky projects, obviously you want to charge a higher interest rate for it. So sure, I, I think I think you have that dynamic going. But and don't forget, of course, that yes, the, the, the Chinese did buy a lot of our bonds; they did sub you know subsidize our deficits. On the other hand, they did it for mercantilist reasons. I mean, the, the, you know, they're they're not innocent players. in This it's the, the whole point is that this floating currency, Bretton Woods ask system we have is a witch's brew that allows these deficits and these bubbles to accumulate, which would never happen under a gold standard. And this was all argued out, you know, as Bretton Woods was happening beforehand and, and the inflationists won. We've had the last uh, half century uh, with with this system, which is pernicious and terrible. But it almost doesn't matter. I mean, the, the point is when you go to refinance your debt or when your interest payments are floating and start going higher, uh, you you know, it starts to squeeze you. And, and then that, that creates a cascading effect. And so... Uh, it, it doesn't really matter what's driving rates up. What matters is they are going up, and and of course I, I don't discount the idea that the Fed wants this all blow up on Trump's watch. I mean I, I think yeah. Trump has been incredibly foolish uh, because he's a, a cunning fox. But in the campaign he was all about oh this is a big enormous bubble and it's Janet Yellen's fault, which is all yeah. somewhat true. And now he's in office. He's tweeting about how wonderful the stock market is. Yeah. What is he going to do when, when it when it crashes? I mean who's yeah. who's, and and not that, but of course. You know, he 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 told a Wall Street Journal interviewer recently that he is a low interest rate person after berating Yellen the whole campaign yeah. for keeping yeah. rates too low for political reasons. So, of course, he has no credibility on this issue at all. I mean, that may not matter, but he doesn't. And and it may well be ironically that he replaces Yellen with someone who's in more, even more of inflationist. But I know that that matters. I mean, when 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 the credit cycle ends. The, the only way to keep it going uh, under Austrian theory, which is confirmed by history, is, is to have extraordinary efforts. I mean, the, the I mean, Bernanke was right in the sense that if the Fed hadn't acted in 2008 the way it did, that we would have had a second Great Depression. I mean, he's mm-hmm. correct about that. But what, what, what he misguided is that all he did was delay it and make it worse. Uh, and so the, the big question that, uh, that I don't know the answer to, that I don't think anyone can know the answer to, is when the next big crisis happens, can the Fed – reinflate the bubble to an even higher level or are we played out there is a theoretical limit to how far you can push this thing and have we reached it yet or do we have one more round or two more rounds but th- that, yeah. that's an open question but for yeah. sure it'll be worse than it was last time and the efforts required to uh, to you know kick it down the road will be that much greater uh, and I, I don't know that they can do it
3: well the exponential growth of money and and credit debt is is just unbelievable already it's hard to see. Uh, how there's not some end in the in the not-too-distant future, but let's try to be prepared as best we can, and we want to ask you about gold and talk a little bit about how gold provides not only gold bullion, but gold shares also uh, historically have provided a very good hedge and have allowed uh, to enhance portfolio returns and reduce risk, risks uh, defined as volatility of returns.
1: Well, well, that's exactly right. So so the point is, again, as I said at the beginning uh, of this conversation, gold has the most stable value of of anything there is. And that means that in a bubble, it doesn't go up like everything else. And so you lose owning gold relatively in, in a bubble. And conversely, in a bust, uh, you, you gain. And so having gold in your portfolio uh, stabilizes it. And one of the things you can do, one of the strategies that, that works is if you say, I'm going to keep X percent of my portfolio in gold, I'm going to rebalance it every year. So whatever it is, 10%, 20%, 30%, and every year I'll just rebalance it. Uh, that, that actually, if you look at the data over 100 years, has extraordinary Ability to increase your return and decrease your volatility, which is what every investor should want to mm-hmm. do. I mean, it's a great, now, to be fair, that, that's an academic exercise and, and it assumes no friction costs and, of course, given taxes. Sure. And, and, and so, that, so it's not quite that easy. But there's another way you can do it, which is again, if you look at the very simple metric, you know, what, what is the relationship of gold to the Fed's liabilities? Well, if, you're, if, if that is very, very high, like in 1980, that is not a good time to hold on our gold. If it's very, very low, uh, like now, it's a great time to hold gold. So you can actually modulate that uh, mm-hmm. holding somewhat and, and boost your returns. Now, now because gold is very stable, you know, you're know you not going to make a huge killing in terms of your purchasing power. That's the point is to stabilize your purchasing power. So when you right. own gold, uh, you stabilize it. But you, know, you can certainly increase it versus assets like real estate and, and, and stocks. They go down 90% in terms of gold. But in terms of things you actually consume, gold doesn't go up that much. It doesn't go down that much. It's pretty stable. If you want to increase your purchasing power in terms of consumption consumptive ability that's where the mining shares come in and Mm -hmm. mining shares are generally a very poor investment over long periods of time and the reason is because they don't do well during bubbles and and credit growth typifies most periods of the economy but when you have these moments when the credit bubble pops, uh, gold shares go crazy. And so, again, you can have a much, much smaller percentage of your portfolio in gold mining shares, and you ought to because they're so risky and volatile. But you have them there because when they hit, they really, really hit, and they can make up for uh, losses elsewhere in your portfolio. So really gold bullion and gold shares really perform two different functions. Gold bullion can and ought to be a very large percentage of one's portfolio. Gold mining stocks should be a much smaller Percentage, but it should be a consistent uh, a piece of a portfolio because mm-hmm. of its ability to cushion uh,
3: uh, declines in in a crash. All right, Dan. Uh, I, I guess we're going to have to leave it go at that. Pretty much, we're just about out of time. I think you've done a great job of explaining how gold and gold shares work together. Uh, certainly, we've seen periods of time when gold, the gold shares, will go up for several years and then lose eighty percent of their gains in a very short period of time I've seen that demonstrated And one of the functions is the real rates of interest with just 30 seconds yet how, how are we standing on real rates of interest negative do you think they'll be remain negative or very low for the foreseeable future
1: well I, I again I, I think that as capital dries up that interest would go up so it doesn't matter where they are now what matters is where they're going and and the Fed raising rates with these malinvestments are you know halting to a halt I think that that
3: the cost of capital will will go a lot higher than it is now Mm -hmm. for sure all right all right we'll have to leave it go at that thank you very much dan for being with us i look forward to doing it again sometime in the near future folks that's it for today next week uh, alistair McLeod of gold money will be with us until then goodbye and god's blessings to you
2: thank you again for listening to turning hard times into good times with jay taylor